from heaven. And so, uh, so let's do this. Let's read through it. And then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. And so like I said this morning, like we'll do a little bit more reading than we usually do. Um, but that's okay. I feel like it's, it's not fair sometimes on a Sunday morning to like maybe just pick some little spot and then we miss like the whole context of what's happening and what developed. So I want to try and make sure we capture all that. Um, and then we have communion at the end too. So, um, so let me read through it um, first and then we can check it out. So Matthew 21... And we're going to pick up in uh, verse 23. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will also ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? And they discussed it among themselves, and they said, well, if we say from heaven, he's going to ask them, why don't you believe him? But if we say from men, we're afraid of the people, for they all think that John was a prophet. And so then they told Jesus, said, well, we don't know. So Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So Jesus says, let me ask you this, what do you think? Verse 28, there was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but did not go. So then Jesus asked him, he says, well, then which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. So Jesus tells them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So Jesus says, let me tell you one more parable. Verse 33, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. He rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants... Uh, he sent servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned the third. So then he sent other servants, more than the first time. The tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. Because he's thinking, he says, they will respect my son. Verse 38, when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Let's take his inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So then they answered, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And then they said, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. So Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus goes on to say in verse 43, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls in the stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. He looked for a way to arrest him, 
But they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So in your bulletins, right, in your bulletins, there's always that section at the bottom to get the juices flowing. It's under the announcements part to give you an idea of where we're headed and what we're going to talk about. So the first question, and these are just for you, um, you know, just to think about or write down. Um, red grapes or white grapes? I don't know which ones you like. I um, guess it depends on the day. Who knows? Maybe you don't like grapes at all. It's a bad question. The second one was our question of the day. Have you ever been to a vineyard? And then our bonus question, something to think about as we read through all of this. How did John the Baptist show, quote, unquote, the way of righteousness to people, right? Because that's what he said that he did in there. So, like, how did he do that? Because if we're, you know, serious about God and curious about what he has and how he wants us to live, maybe that matters to us to answer to that question. So, this morning with this passage, um, let me ask you just uh, one question. It's just a question just to think about or even just to write down and maybe you can think about it more later, answer it how you want. Um, We'll see by the end of the message maybe what you wrote down or what you thought. Um, Where I teach at school, um, Notre Dame High School, West Haven, uh, Catholic High School, so there's a lot of interesting dynamics there uh, with me being a pastor and church planner there and a lot of interesting conversations. Um, I teach math down there. And one of the courses that they offer at the school is called Life Skills. And um, in that class, they're supposed to learn life skills, time management, how to set priorities, you know, how to balance, you know, a checkbook, um, how to not be influenced, you know, by wrong people, how to make wise decisions, all that kind of thing. The question I have for us this morning just to think about is sort of related to the life skills thing. If you could narrow down Christianity to like a series of skills, because in many ways it's skills to be able to walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's skillful. It doesn't come natural. Something we have to ask God for help with, strength with. We have to pray to Him. Right? It requires some skill. So if you could boil down, narrow down Christianity to one Christian skill. Narrow it down to one just essential, critical Christian skill that's like, if you got that skill, man, like you're in good shape. You know, what would it be? If you could narrow down the Christian life to one solid Christian skill what would it be? I think that's a very good question. It's something definitely worthwhile to think about. And our passage this morning is going to bring us there. So um, that's my intent this morning, is kind of bring us to that question and be like, okay, what is it? How does it look like in my life? Like, what can I do? It's 2013, you know, I'm I'm not talking with Jesus, you know, in parables with the vineyard, like, I'm living today. I got to go home, you know, to you know a sick son. I got to cut the grass. I got to clean the house. Like, what does that have to do with me? So, that question should help us. So let's dig in here a little bit. Let's take a look. So we started off right. Verse twenty-three says, "Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things?" They asked. And who gave you this authority? So Jesus, at this point in time, just so I get the context a little bit, is that this is the last week of Jesus' life where he goes to the cross. He's in Jerusalem now. And he like spends time there during the day, retreats at night to a surrounding area, stays with you know, different people. 
comes back the next day. And what he usually does when he comes back in the temple, he's teaching. He's talking about his father, about the kingdom of heaven, all that kind of thing. So just recently, he came in there and he like cleared house. He's turning over tables. He's not real happy with the way that they're handling the temple. And um, needless to say, they don't like that. Okay, And that's the second time he's done it. And uh, the, what he's teaching inside the temple is not necessarily what they would be teaching themselves if they were in church or in synagogue. And they've seen this Jesus teaching a different message, kind of creating a scene. They've seen this Jesus walking around, casting demons out of people, healing people on the spot. This is very, very different than the way they were doing religious life. Very different. And so they come with him with this question. And it's not the first time they've done it. They've done it several times. So they come with this question. They said, hey, you know, by what authority are you doing these things? And uh, I look at that question, I think, man, that's kind of like even a weird question to ask. Like you've seen him for three years now, three years, watching him do some of these things. Making people stand up and walk, you know, and casting demons, and repeatedly doing these things. Um, they're hoping that he's going to say, by the power of Satan, by the power of the devil, because that's what they've accused him of doing. Like, he can only like, do these things because he's part of Satan's team. Like, he, Jesus is never going to say that, you know? So it's kind of a silly question. It's like, what do they think he's going to say? And you can tell from their question, it's not really sincere. They're really trying to trap him and get him in trouble. Because that's where their hearts are. They've seen a lot, but they want more evidence. So I like what Jesus does. He like flips it here. So the question that they give, right, is intended to trap him. Hopefully he's going to give a bad answer and everybody will see and hear it and they'll be like, ah, see, gotta watch this guy. It's not right. But Jesus, he's going to trap them. Because what he does, what they did, is they publicly question his authority, right, in front of everybody, so everybody can hear it. And what he's going to do is, with his answer, he's going to publicly expose the kind of judgment that they use. So they're saying, by what authority, right, are you doing these things? And so Jesus is like, okay, listen, well, fine. Obviously, they don't really care about how I'm going to answer this, so... Let's let everybody see about how you evaluate situations. Like you're going to tell, you know, basically judge me and tell me by what authority I'm doing things. Let's see how your judgment is. You know, and we'll say it nice and loud so everybody can hear it. And then you give an answer that way. And so then here we go to Jesus' response. So Jesus replies, I will also ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority. I'm doing these things. So here's now where he exposes how they judge things. It says, John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from men? And so now here's the issue, right? It says they discussed. I have that underlined and boxed in my Bible. And in some Bible it says they reasoned. You know there's an issue with truth, as soon as you have to start to reason and discuss it, and like, can I say this, or can I say that, or can I say that? Like, you know there's an issue there. There's an issue here. So they start reasoning and discussing. You know, it's like, huddle time. Okay, Jesus gave us a question, like, they're all looking in. 
What are we going to say? What are we going to do? Like, what's our play? You know, they're trying to think about this thing. And they've been doing this for three years. It's just so ridiculous. It's like they're four years old. So, they get in there. They discuss it among themselves. Here's what they come up with. And they said, if we say from heaven, well, he's going to ask, then why don't you believe him? Because they didn't accept John the Baptist. And then they say, but if we say from men, right, we're afraid of the people, right, because they said there was a prophet, so... What do we say? We don't know what to say. So then we just, I don't know. You know, I don't know. But now everybody heard them say, I don't know. Right? Jesus like switched the tables on them. You're trying to corner them, but yet he just put it on them. He just like flipped it on them. So Jesus said, you know what? Then I'm not going to tell you about what authority I'm going to do these things. And you know what he does next? He actually tells them by what authority he actually is doing. He's actually going to answer their question now. And he does it in a form of a parable. And these two parables here explain further like, by what authority he's doing this. And uh, you know he uses parables a lot because it would help communicate some kind of truth. It would take something that they're used to and then break it down. I was talking with uh, Travis this week, and a lot of times me and Travis, you know, have been talking about the passages and looking at them and having conversations about it, you know, and stuff. And the issue of parables came up, and uh, we were talking on the, on the phone about it, and I said, yeah, I said, you know, Travis, I'm really glad you brought that up because it made me think, like, of school. And in math, you know, it's, it's all craziness, right? But in math, especially geometry, you know, if I'm telling them, like, what a biconditional statement is, See, now you're gone already. If I'm telling them what a biconditional statement is, right, it has, you know, it's, it's only formed when a conditional and a converse are true, and then you put an if and only then phrase in the middle and you join them together, right? It's like, what? One, I don't care, and two, what did you say? Right? Like, Jesus could talk that way about the kingdom. I told you everything right now about a biconditional statement that is true. It's all true. But it's like, it's not useful because it's not in terms that you can understand. So Jesus is constantly talking in terms that they, you know, will understand. And terms that they will understand are vineyards, you know, farming, stuff that they were around all the time. And so that's what he's going to do right here with this parable. So here's how he answers the authority question. By what authority are you doing this? Well, then, one, he exposes them for the phonies that there are. And then secondly, he's now going to answer their question. So, the parable of the two sons. Here we go. And this basically summarizes that Jesus is saying, my authority comes from the Father. That's what he's saying. My authority comes from the Father. And he's going to say that through this parable. Let me show you how. So, verse 28. Jesus says, what do you think? He said, there is a man that had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Remember, we're talking parables, right? Vineyard is very, very significant to them. They understand this term, vineyard. In fact, this vineyard is used in this parable and in the next one, right? We read this before. So he's using this twice, and it's because it's important. Because when God talks about their nation of Israel... And when he talks about the Hebrew nation, he refers to them in his word as a vineyard. So right away, they're understanding you know, what he's talking about, and he's doing that intentionally. And just in case you don't believe me, there's a couple passages I think I put up here about in the Bible where you can see um, 
where God talks about Israel as a vineyard. In Psalm 80, verse 8, it says, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it, right? That's talking about the nation of Israel, how he cleared out all the nations in front of them so he could take right his vine and his vineyard and then plant them there. And then in Isaiah, it says the same thing. And this actually continues on. I think it's like for eight or nine verses. I only took a little bit out, but you could check it out later this week if you want. Um, But he says, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Right? He dug it up, cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choices of vines. He built a watchtower in it. He cut out a wine press as well. Right? He looked for a crop of good grapes, but yielded only bad fruit. And I like that passage because it's like God had like this love like for this vine, for this vineyard. You know, he goes in, he cultivates it, does the hard work, you know, looking for them to grow. But it's like they just kept making up, messing up, making bad choices, you know. But that's the way God sees his people, as a vineyard. So he says, he's got a father, two sons. The first he says, son, go and work today in the vineyard. So the first son says, nah, I'm good, I don't want to go. Some sons, right, can do that right away. He says, but later, he changed and he went. It's good. Verse 30. says, then the father went to the other son, said the same thing. He answered, yeah, 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 I'll go. But then he didn't, right? So then Jesus asked him, you know, the question, which of the two did his father wanted? You know, and they get the answer, right? The first. So Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors... The prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. It's like now he just hit them right between the eyes. Boom. What? That is a seriously hardcore verse right there. Jesus says, the tax collectors, the people you hate, who you can't stand, who we all know, take advantage of our own people. Prostitutes who sell their bodies, right, for sex. Nothing holy about it. They are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Huge. Says, verse 32, For John came to show you the way of righteousness. So you can just sense now they're getting upset. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, right? They weren't still the same type of tax collectors. And hopefully they stopped, right, the prostitution because they repented. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, they heard, they stopped. You, you have not. It says, even after you saw it, you didn't repent and believe them. So then Jesus gives them one more parable. So the first parable shows them that they have authority from the Father. The second parable is going to show that He has authority because He is Son of the Father. So let's take a look at that one. Verse 33. says, listen to another parable. It says there is a landowner who planted a vineyard, right? Again, same illustration, same imagery. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press, built a watchtower. Same language, actually, we just kind of read and heard from Isaiah 5. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized the servants. So this guy sends his servants, hey guys, it's harvest time, let's see what we got. Let's put it on the market. So the tenants seized servants. They beat one, killed the other, stoned a third. Jesus is making some parallels here. I've sent prophets. 
I've sent kings. They've told you how to live. They've been stoned. They've been killed. They've been beaten. It's kind of a pattern with you guys, right? They're starting to put the pieces, as thick as they are, you know they're starting to put the pieces together. It says, verse 37, last of all, he sent his son to them, right? We had the father in the first parable, you have the son in the second parable. He sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd send my son the second time and hope for respect. I'd send the army with the tanks and all the enforcement and say, really? That's the way you're going to treat my servants coming down? I will show you who is boss. It's just not the way Jesus works. One day he will work like that. At the end, man, when time is up, he is going to work like that. But for whatever reason, right now with us, he does not work like that with us. So verse 38, says, when the Senate saw the son, they said, hey, this is the heir. Let's kill him. We'll take the inheritance. So they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. It says, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And so now, like he's got, he asks his audience, right, the religious leaders, they're in the story now. They're like, so Jesus is like, what are they going to do? And he can just feel that they're in it now. Like they want to give the good answer. You know, they're part of the story. They're like, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. You know, not really, some of them aren't getting it yet. And then they say, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop. And so now Jesus is like, let's bring this thing home. He says, haven't you read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Like, this is about me. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes, right? And he quotes Psalm 118. If they have a little footnote in your Bible, probably a little B or a little letter right there, refers back to the end of the paper there. And it's significant because when he wrote in the city, in the beginning of that week, they were quoting Psalm 118. Like, he knows, man, Jesus just like knows what he's doing. He's delivering it right to him. Verse 43 says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Like the Hebrew, the Israel nation is just missing the mark. And they kept missing the mark for a long time. Hundreds of years. So he's like, man, you know, I'm going to give it to Gentiles, which would be us, you know, not Hebrew, not Jewish. Because they're going to produce, just like the tax collectors and the prostitutes. They're going to respond. They might not know all the Bible verses. They might not know all the right people. They might not have all the background, but they're hungry for me. They responded to me. Those are the people I want to work with. That's what God says. Verse 44 says, He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. And that's an odd kind of thing, right? That's an odd thing. That was another one me and Travis talked about this week. You know, like, what's the deal like with that passage? Like, that's strange. That is weird. You know, when we come to Jesus, you know, what happens many times, we come to Him, and what He's going to do is He's going to break our life down to pieces, man, and try and put them back together the right way, the way that He needs. But when we reject Him, that weight of sin at the end when we stand before God we don't have Jesus in our corner with his blood covering us, that weight of sin crushes. Crushes. 
And more importantly, Jesus again takes this phrase that they would know from their, we'll call it Bibles, even though they call it their Bible, from their Bibles. In Daniel chapter 2, it talks about how there's going to be this kingdom that will come, and I think the verse will come up there. There will be this kingdom that comes, and it won't compare to any other kingdom. It says, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. So he's using this same terminology, same imagery, how this kingdom is going to come and crush all other kingdoms. And so now verse 45, the Pharisees, religious leaders, they're getting it. It says, And the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables. They knew who he was talking about them. Verse 46, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So, we see all these dynamics happening through this passage where number one, Jesus turns the table, exposes what their judgment is really like, but also answers their question about where his authority comes from. My authority is coming from my father and the first parable, and it's coming from the son who is really the cornerstone in the second parable. But the question still remains, like it's 2013, you know, we're going to go home, we're going to go to our lives, we're going to deal with what we're going to deal with. What is the most important Christian skill that we could possess? Right? Where is that? What is it? And I don't know what you wrote down, and I don't know what you thought about, but... What I think it is, and what came to my mind this week, and what I feel like the Lord put on my heart, was that verse that hit him right between the eyes. The between the eyes verse. If you go back to verse 30, was it 32? 31. It says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are ending the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. That's a radical, bold statement. Because nobody knew the Bible. It wasn't their Bible. right? It's not what they called it. But nobody knew the Word better than them. Nobody. In fact, Jesus himself, he said, no one is more righteous than the Pharisees and religious leaders. Another way to think of it is nobody's more religious than these guys. And he's saying that tax collectors, prostitutes, are getting in the kingdom of heaven ahead of them which implies that maybe not all of them might not even get there. That's a big-time statement. So I think the most important skill that a Christian can have and possess is the skill and the ability to repent regularly. Repent regularly. See, if if we come as a church... And our message all the time is whatever makes you feel good and whatever makes you feel inspired and whatever makes you feel empowered, that's nice. It might feel good, but it's not the goal of the gospel. And that's not the original message. The original message from day one, starting with John the Baptist, and then Jesus copied the same message, was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at near. 
That's huge. So this week, I'm praying through this passage. I could do each week. Look at it earlier in the week. Pray over it. Look at it. Be like, man, sometimes it's like, oh, wow, Lord. Like, we're, you're saying this. We're trying to bring this to light. Other weeks, it's like, can we skip it? Let's make it a service Sunday. Like, let's do something else. You know, it's just, it doesn't seem to be much there. So I'm praying this week and going through it and just you know, kind of struggling with it and reading it. And, you know, I don't know if you can relate to reading the Word and not knowing what to do with it right away. Um, but that's the way I was feeling. And so I'm like, Lord, you know, just open my eyes this week. You know, show me, like, what's in this Word. And, you know, I'm working, you know, got a family, got friends. Like, open my eyes. Like, what's going on here? So I want to say later that day. It might have been the next day, Okay. So I come in the class. This is like my first period. I still got notes on the board from yesterday. Um, really good notes. Like it explained everything really well. So we come in, and um, I leave it for a second, and I say, okay, because I leave it on the board so we can recap and then go into the new stuff. And um, I say, okay, guys, like take a look at this for a minute. Look at it in your notes. It should already be there from yesterday, but, you know, in case you didn't write it down, it's back up here. I'm going to erase it. We're going to move to something else. Okay. So, we go to a problem that's like yesterday, but now I've erased, you know, what's going on up here. And I call on so-and-so. I remember who it was. Call on so-and-so. Say, okay, what do we do with this problem? It was literally the exact same problem I just erased. Same one. Different numbers. Same problem. Nothing. Just looking at me, just crickets and just like, you know, nothing. Nothing. Like, what the heck, you know? So then I call on, you know, another kid that I know is like, you know, stays on task a little bit more, you know, at least a little more focused. They'll give me something to work with. Nothing. Like, what the heck? You know, so I go, I go to my go-to, one of my go-to guys. I'm like, this one, you know, he's, he pays attention. So I'm like, go to you guys. I don't know, Mr. Murphy. You know, just nothing. Now I'm getting irritated. So I go, one more that I know is pretty good. And I said, and, and, I, and I go to this uh, one that I know is pretty good. I said, look at your notes. And I'm getting a little irritated now. I said, look at your notes. He said, Mr. Murphy, I'm looking at my notes. I don't. So now I'm, everyone's looking at me. You know, their eyes are big. And I looked down on the ground and I look at them. I said, guys, I just erased this from the board. I said, somebody just tell me what it even has to do with. And it's like this. Crickets. Nothing. <laughs> so now I'm getting irritated. Right? But I'm not, I've learned over the years that I've made mistakes in the beginning where like you get irritated, but then like anger comes through and that's not good, you know, because like you don't want to be, um, uh, you know, ang- angry in the wrong way. Like, you should, like, be frustrated, but deliver in the right way because it's still a classroom and they're kids, you know? So, it took me, like, you know, six years to learn that. But, anyways, so this particular time, I'm doing a better job with it. And uh, I'm raising my voice, and, like, I'm, you know, talking to them, like, it's obvious I'm raising my voice, but I'm smiling. It's like, guys, what are we doing? Where are your notes? You know, and some kids are smiling. They know I'm trying to make a point. And uh, I said, you know what? Forget it. 
Everybody, put your notebooks on your desk. I'm grading like a quiz. Your notes, I'm grading as a quiz right now. And I grab my grade book, and I'm walking around. And all the kids are like, and they're flipping like, oh no, he's coming. The quiz is coming. So I'm walking around. I'm checking all the books, and I'm storming you know, around. I'm not mad, you know, but they get the point that I'm like, I can't believe it. You know, we did all this work yesterday. And I'm looking around, I'm like, but I'm not seeing stuff in their notes. And I'm like, oh crap, in my head. Did we really do this? So I'm walking around, and I'm walking up and down, and I'm, going, I'm seeing my go-to guys. You guys pay attention, and it's not in their notes. And I'm like, oh crap. So now like, I just went through this whole scene. I give them this lecture, you know. And I'm like, what the heck happened? So I go through everybody. And I'm like, oh no, this is not good. So, um, so now, right? Now my pride's on the line. <laughs> they don't know what I know. I have two classes of this class. Sometimes I cover more in one class than another. And it's totally possible the notes were from the other class. But they don't know that quite yet. They haven't caught on, right? They're only 15, right? So I could use that, you know, for my, try and justify my behavior somehow. But then I think, what have I been praying for this whole week? What's like the number one skill, you know, for a Christian? Skill of repentance. Boom, like, so right now the kids could see in action. Their teacher just made a big lecture, a whole spiel. Mr. Murphy's always right. You know, went through the whole thing. Now they could see in action, like, what does it look like to really repent the right way for the kids? So I come up after I check all the books. And all that's going through my head. I'm like, oh, crap, you know, what am I, the first period, you know, first thing in the day, like, I don't want to deal with this. So, and neither do they, Right? Being selfish. Neither do they want to deal with Mr. Murphy being an idiot. So I come up and uh, say, okay, guys. I said, you know, um, those notes are, are from the other class. I said, yeah, I really thought it was from your class. And, and it wasn't. And a couple kids, and you yelled at us, Mr. Murphy. <laughs> I said, you're right. I said, you did. I, I said, uh, you know, I did. And so I did. So I get down, right, on my knees in front of the kids in the front of the class. And I say, guys, I said, I am so sorry. I said, will you forgive me for just coming off and saying the wrong thing in the wrong way? And they didn't know what to do. They were just frozen. And they're like, get up. It's okay, Mr. Murphy. You know, so I get up. But, like... It was important, I think, that they got that message, you know what I mean, that, man, you could just think you're so in the right and have it, you know, so down and be so convinced. But at some point, like, that... Like, I could have battled with that issue of repetitive thing, you know, all day long. I could have easily put it off. I have so many other times. And I don't think it would have come to my mind unless I was really praying about it. And... uh that's a skill, right, that I need to get better at. And I know I have an issue with it. Like, it's not just an automatic success because in that particular time, I happen to go through and do the right thing. That doesn't always happen. I know I have an issue because I was so hesitant to want to do it. Man, if I was a true Christian and a true believer... I should have just made us rejoice with the truth. Oh man, I told them the wrong thing. And been excited that I was wrong about that. 
Imagine that. Because I just wanted them to so have the truth. But I could tell my flesh was fighting every, every, every part of that did not want to repent in front of them and say, guys, I, I'm sorry. I apologize for that. That message, you know, of repentance is what differentiated the tax collectors and the, you know, prostitutes and the sinners, you know, from the religious people. It's just amazing to me, like, to hit home really hard, you know, nowadays. I think this would really hit home for many. Um, We haven't talked a lot on the whole homosexual topic, and we will, but... I feel like it would mean so much more today if it was a homosexual, you know, who met Jesus, repented, you know, their life, and is now trying to follow after Jesus, you know, just battling, struggling, trying, trying to figure it out, but trying to put Jesus at the center of their lives. And then you have, let's say, Reverend Pastor So-and-so. He's got the Bible, he's got a seminary, but there is just like this hatred and bitterness maybe towards a particular person like that. You better believe that that quote-unquote same-sex homosexual person that's now trying to put Jesus at the center of their life is in a much better shape than reverend or pastor so-and-so. That's what Jesus was going for. Let me get your attention and show you how important this thing is. And as far as repentance go, I think there's really two forms of it. Two forms. One is the repentance initially, where we say, I want Jesus as Lord of my life. I commit my life to Him. I don't know all the answers. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I know that I should. God, I want you to come in my life. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. That's repentance, number one, right? And then we get baptized to show that. That's repentance number one. And then after that, we've got to live this thing out. But we gotta, it says in the Bible, we've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it says that the Holy Spirit, in that first repentance, comes and lives in us and is refining us, making us more like Jesus. And there's all kinds of stuff He's going to bring to our attention and bring to the surface that we've got to deal with. And the only way we deal with it and become acceptable to God is a lifestyle of just repentance. Just be like, oh man, Lord, like, I'm sorry. Why, why am I saying that? I shouldn't do that. Why am I looking at this? Why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? I don't want to. You know, so this issue of repentance is huge. It is the cornerstone of everything that happens here with these guys. The whole issue with the Pharisees and religious leaders, they wouldn't repent. They're around God. They're around Jesus. You know, they had the word. They didn't want it. And what they used for justification was, eh, give me some more. I want to see some more. It's sad. It's sad. And there's too many people that are like that today. So I think some good questions, right, to close this thing up with is like, what does repentance look like? What does it look like? Daily repentance, what does it look like? Does it have to be on the knees? You know, know, eyes open, eyes closed. Do we have to tell other people? You know, how does it look? 
And the answer really is, it could be different all the time. Don't know. It depends on what the issue is and what's going on. If I know that in my life, I have some kind of issue, some kind of issue in my life that is just like, man, corner, you know, in the dark, nobody knows, you know, Jared's private sin. It's not good enough for me to just come to God, especially as a pastor, right? To just come to God and say, oh God, I repent, I'm sorry. But nobody knows. And it's like this struggle battle thing on the background. It's not good enough. For that particular situation, people need to know, right? People need to know that pastor is dealing with that in the background. He needs accountability people to be put around him. Same thing like for you, husband, wife, whatever. For something in the dark, in the background, nobody knows. That one, like, let's confess to each other and have God work on that. But it's like, you know, later on today, let's say maybe I get impatient, maybe with disciplining Jaron or something. I'll repent that one, you know, to God. Maybe I'll tell Julie, maybe I won't. And that particular issue, maybe it's not super important that I call up four accountability partners and tell them, hey, I was impatient with Jaron today and yelled a little bit too loud. You know, maybe now I don't need that. But like it looks different in every situation. But the key is, is my lifestyle reflect repentance? Am I regularly coming to God and saying, God, what are you working on? What are you doing? Or, I see it. I'm sorry I repent of it. And repent just means change. Like I was headed this way, I was doing this thing, I was thinking this way, I was doing this, but then I change and I go back. A different way, right? Now sometimes in life that's not always easy, especially if it's like substance abuse. So I'll come down, God, I repent, I don't want to drink that, I don't want to smoke that. Try and repent. But then like you get stuck again, like you go back and it's like, it seems like this constant battle and it's very tempting to think that in that struggle the repentance wasn't really sincere because of the constant turning that we have to get back into. And that's when we need like other brothers and sisters around us like to help us, you know, with that. The repentance was sincere. It's just that it's got a hold on our flesh and it's not going to go down easily. So man, the message for us like this morning in 2013 is like let's be repentant. Like let's just daily as much as we can come to God and say, "God, what are you trying to filter out here? What are you working on? And how can I step up and do it?" What we're going to do is we're going to take communion. What a great time like to repent now and like, you know, just say whatever we got to say to God, you know, right now during communion time. And um, TJ is going to come up and share with us a couple of words just about communion. And uh, uh, Jen and I will pass out the elements. And so, uh, TJ, if you'd come up and say a couple of words about um, communion.